they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March 31st. We are fast approaching Easter. Holy Week comes first. There's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. We have to always remember that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ who is crucified, but he is also risen. Death is not the end of the story. So we will pray the Angelus here to remember that um, God really did become incarnate, incarnate. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Suncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis, Benedictus Quivenit in Nomine Domini, Hosanna in Excelsis. So here we are, and the title of our show today is, Is Man Just Another Animal? It seems that since Darwin came up with his theory of evolution, his um, different names that it's been titled, basically that men are just the same as animals, and um, that that whole teaching has kind of infiltrated into education and even in Catholic schools. And it's like, yeah, you know, we all descended from apes, and we just have to accept it. And it's like, well, it's interesting because actually the theory of Darwin has absolutely no um, fossil evidence to back it up. And um, it, it, you know, it, the reality is, is what do we know as Christians? And, you know, granted, the Bible is not a science book, but it is God's holy word. And it tells us what God's intention was in the beginning when he made man and how he made man. And we want to look at that today. And we want to look at it through the eyes of um, St. John Paul II in some in a work, great work that he did called Theology of the Body. And I want to do something here at the beginning of the show. 
I want to invite all of those of you who are listening to please get at least two friends to listen to this program, Bible with the Barbers. Our other programs too, but Bible with the Barbers. Let's, let's spread this around. We have a Catholic Bible study. Come on, let's join it. You people, come on. Stop. So the Protestants can't say, oh, the Catholics, they don't know their Bible, you know? No, come on, let's, let's, let's get down to business here and really study our Bible. Um, take out your cell phones if you have the app for Virgin Most Powerful Radio and share it with everyone on your contact list. Send them a text and send them a link to the, the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And if you're listening to Bible with the Barbers, say, by the way, I want you to, to join in and listen to this program. So, but we want to look at what was God's intention in the beginning? What was in the beginning? Okay. God created the heavens and the earth and he separates the light from the darkness. And we know as the fathers of the church have told us this separating of the light and the darkness is the fall of the angels, the angels who fell. Not all, not all the angels fell. One third of the angels who fell about, we think from book of revelation, when the dragon, the, the ancient serpent, the devil takes a third of the stars out of the sky. Well, the stars represent the angels. So he took down apparently about one third of the angels. So God made man. Now, when he made man, God already had an enemy. And he tells Adam to guard the garden. And Adam is there and God makes Adam. And in the beginning, God God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis, we read what? Well, there are two accounts, as it were, of creation in Genesis. But in Genesis one twenty six, it says, "God then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let us make them and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, and fill it. Now, and he told them that he gives them all the food, you know, the green plants for food, all right? And he gives them a command not not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And then you have the second account, and, and of creation in Genesis 2. There's no contradiction here. Okay, there's no contradiction. There, there's more, there are more details in Genesis 2. So what happens? Okay. So the Lord God, Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God put man in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you are freely to eat of the trees of the garden, but of every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Then the Lord God said, well, first of all, um, he, he formed man out of the dust of the, the earth and he breathed the living spirit into him. And then um, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a, a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its its name. So Adam is naming all the creatures. And this is in the context that God is going to make a fit partner for him. All right. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for the man, there was not found a partner fit him 
Okay. Adam had to discover something. He had to discover that he was alone, that he was different from the animals. There was something very different about him. And in the animals, he does not find a fit partner. Original solitude. Adam is alone. And so God puts Adam into a deep sleep, and he takes out his rib, and out of that rib, he builds up a woman. And he brings the woman to the man, and the man says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of her man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked but without shame. Well, okay, so Adam had to discover that he was alone, that he needed a partner like himself, and that none of the animals filled that bill. Man is different. Man is made in God's image and likeness. The animals were made to serve man's needs. Man was to have dominion over them. But man needed a partner. And, and you notice God doesn't create Eve out of Adam's head. She's not above him. She, he also doesn't create Eve out of Adam's foot. She's not below him. She's not subject to him in that way. She's not, um, he doesn't have dominion over her. Eve is taken out of his side. She is his equal. She also is made in God's image as a person to be loved. And here is the key. Do we as human beings know that we were made in the image and likeness of God, that we are supposed to image God in everything that we think, do, and say, and omit to think, do, and say, in all of our desires, hopes, everything, that all, everything we think is hidden from everyone else, okay? So God makes man, and he makes him in his image, so we're made in the image. And then immediately, Adam and Eve form a covenant. It's a covenant, right? The Lord says to them that they are to be fruitful and multiply. And that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So Eve is his wife. What is the fit partner for the man? His wife. And how is she a fit partner? She is a fit partner in, in helping him to be sanctified and in bringing forth children in marriage and family life. Why would God create marriage? I mean, God, he's up there in the heavens, you know. I, he doesn't know anything about man, right? Well, he made us. He maybe knows something. But God made man in his own image. And this is something we as Christians believe that God is a trinity of persons. God is not a solitude unto himself. God is not alone. God is God and there is only one God. But in God, there are three divine persons. This is the greatest mystery of our faith. And God revealed this in a veiled way in the Old Testament. He says here in Genesis, he begins by saying, let us make man in our own image. When he goes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that the Lord rained down from the Lord in heaven, fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's this indication that, wait a minute, that God is, a, God is one and there's only one God, but somehow there's a plurality in God. They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization. 
we're coming up against a break here. It's um, and this is Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Bible with the Barbers, on Friday, March thirty first. Please share this program with all your friends and family and neighbors. Go to your phone if you have the app. Send a link of this app to all of your friends and let them know to tune in and listen to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and especially with Bible with the Barbers. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. So we're talking about man created in God's image. So man is different. He's different than the animals. He's made in God's image. It doesn't say that of any of the animals. And in the animals, God does not, um, excuse me, man, Adam, when he, God brings the animals to him and Adam dis- to dis- so that Adam can discover that he is alone, that among the animals, he will not find a suitable partner. And God makes woman to be the suitable partner for man and creates the marriage, the sacrament of marriage. St. John Paul II, man and woman, he created them. A theology of the body. And I suggest that you get Michael Waldstein, we would say it in English, his name is W-A-L-D-S-T-E-I-N, Michael Waldstein, his translation and introduction to the theology of the body. And he gives some great explanations in here and, and explains some things that we need to understand. When God makes man, okay, God makes man as a reflection of himself. And again, God is not a solitude unto himself. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is a uniquely Christian belief. We really do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God made man. And that, that whole explanation is, is an t- entire another Bible study. And that question has been asked, and, and I need to go into that for people. But right now we want to talk about man as made in God's image. And how does that make him different? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that God is love. So the purpose of man is to love and to love as God loves. (laughs) And God, the Father, has one word of perfect knowledge that he speaks, and that's the word. That's his son. In the beginning was the word. We We read in the introduction to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And by the way, if a Jehovah Witness tells you that there's no definite article in the Greek, and that's why they can put the word was a God, uh, no, that's not true. There's absolutely a definite article in the Greek. Um, and in addition to that, if, if we are to say that the word was a God, then, w- then we're worshiping more than one God, if we worship the word as God. So then we become polydeists. No, we're, we believe there's only one God. But God has revealed himself as a community of love and life. So the Father speaks one word of perfect knowledge, the Son. The Son goes out dynamically from the Father and comes back to the Father in an embrace of love. And that love is so real, it's a person, the Holy Spirit. And he spirates from the Father and the Son, the love that exists between them. But it's not, we explain it in time sequence as if it happened in time. No, God exists out of time from all eternity. And from all eternity, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Trinity of persons. He is communion of love and life. He is the original family. Because in God, there is fatherhood. There is sonship. 
and the essence of the family, which is love. And this is what we need to get to here. When we think of ourselves as created equal to the animals or just another animal, we began to live like the animals. Only man, when he lives like the animals, first he degrades himself. But in that degradation, he does things that no animal would ever do. Okay? So man is made to love. Okay? And our bodies are made to be an instrument of love and a reflection of God's love. That's why we serve one another out of love in order to reflect to our family the love of God. Now, not everyone is called to marriage, but most people are. And we live in a world where man has so degraded himself that people no longer want to get married. One, they're afraid they can't keep the commitment that's made, the promise that's made. And two, many people are just living for themselves. And, and three, many people have been betrayed within the family. They're broken and they're wounded. Their families were dysfunctional. And in some sense, all of us are from dysfunctional families because all of us had parents who were sinners. And every person in our family is a sinner. And I am a sinner. <laughs> it's all of us. We're all in this together because Adam and Eve rebelled against God. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked and they did not feel any shame because they did not see each other as objects to be loved. They saw one another as persons to be loved and objects to be used. Excuse me, objects to be used. They saw each other as persons to be loved. And this is what John Paul, John Paul II is trying to explain to us. We can't get back to the garden, but we can strive to live. And with the grace of God, we can overcome the disordered tendencies that have resulted from original sin. We don't have to live in debauchery. Men and women, you do not have to be slaves to pornography. Okay? You don't have to be slaves to your instinct. By the grace of God, you can bring your body in line to cooperate in God's plan for your salvation and sanctification and glorification. By allowing ourselves to become slaves of pornography or any kind of addiction, we know ourselves to be slaves in the dungeon of a false god. So we need to look at God and fall in love with God and look at one another and fall in love with one another again. We have to renew our love. Love doesn't last because it is strong. It loves lasts because it has the power to renew. So... John Paul II talks about reading the language of the body in the truth, in the truth, as has been said several times in biblical analysis. The moral norm constantly taught by the church in this sphere, recalled and reconfirmed by Pope Paul VI in his encyclical, springs from the reading of the language of the body in truth. The concept of a morally right regulation of fertility is nothing other than reading the language of the body in the truth. Paul VI wrote Humani Vitae, and he says that the use of contraception in marriage is intrinsically evil. The use of contraception outside of marriage is also intrinsically evil, okay? Because it goes against what God joined together. 
God is a community of love and life. So when he made Adam and Eve as husband and wife, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, he repeated that command to Noah and his wife and his and Noah's sons and their wives after the flood. That blessing was not washed away in the flood. Marriage was not washed away in the flood. It was redeemed and Christ redeems it. So we need to live in this freedom of giving ourselves as what? As a gift. Humanae Vitae asks men and women to regard this language of the body in the truth. The persuasive power of the argument lies in its ability to bring the teaching of Jesus to bear on the question of the genuine development and happiness of the human person. We will not be happy living outside of God's laws. Okay? So, in marriage, man and woman have a unique expression of their love. With their bodies, they give themselves to one another in the conjugal embrace. And the woman no longer belongs to herself. She belongs to her husband. And the husband, the man, no longer belongs to himself. He belongs to his wife, his woman. And so... But, but this love, this is a love. It's a giving, a total giving of oneself, all right? So a person has to have the possession of oneself and accept oneself as lovable and capable of loving. And then they freely give themselves to the other. And this is what Adam and Eve are doing in, in the beginning. This is the gift that God gave them. And when they were made, God gave them a gift that was above and beyond their nature it was called integrity. And with that integrity, their flesh didn't militate against their spirit. Their flesh was completely subject with ease to their intellect. Their intellect clearly saw God as the good to be chosen. And all of their actions were to be directed toward the choosing of God first. And in all of their human actions, God would be the choice. They were following God's plan. And so... Eventually, God would have to give the Ten Commandments because of original sin. God had to give the, it's like the owner's manual, you know? But the moral law is not just, it's, it's, not a, um, it's not a cage that's keeping us confined. It's freedom. It's showing us how to live. The Ten Commandments show us how to live, okay? So we, you know, there, there's, there's eros, which the Greek eros, we consider that physical love, that, that sexual desire that we feel. And agape, agape, the self-giving love, the free gift of self to one another. But I, I encourage all of you to read um, Pope Benedict's Deus Caritas Est, okay? Because he talks about eros and agape, and he talks about how the two are not opposed to one another. And it's only with the commandments and the right ordering of man in the keeping of the law, that Eros is redeemed. Otherwise, Eros becomes this burning fire that's not contained within a fireplace. So it becomes destructive. I'm only living for my own pleasure and my own desires. Well, that's not how God made us. And it degrades us. Pornography, you know, adultery, fornication, masturbation, Homosexual acts all degrade the human person. 
We're made in God's image as persons to be loved. Genesis. In God's image, he made them. Male and female, he created them. And he created them to be a gift to one another. But because of sin, our desires are disordered. And we tend to want to use one another. We have this example, tragic example, in the family of David. His son Ammon rapes his half-sister Tamar, okay? He lusts after her, and he seduces her, and then, well, he doesn't. He just rapes her. he, he, He pretends that he's sick, and he says, only Tamar can fix me the food that will make me well. So she brings some soup to him, and when she brings in the soup, he had told everyone else to leave. So she's there alone with him, and he grabs her, and he overpowers her. He's not sick at all. He's just lusting after her. He wants to use her for his own pleasure. And so he does. And after he does, he hates her. She's loathsome to him. It's, you can look this as 2 Samuel 13, 15. And he, he tells her to get out. And she says, no, you, you've done this to me. You've acted like you were my husband. At least marry me. And he won't. So... You know, this is, and this was the disorder within, you know, you have, when we allow our passions to rule us, we're supposed to guide and direct our passions in godliness. I hear that music again. There's so much to be said. I can't read you all of the Theology of the Body by John Paul II, so I encourage you to get it. I encourage you to get Deus Caritas Est by Pope Benedict XVI, and share this program with your family and friends, neighbors, church members. Protestant and Catholic, let them know we have a Catholic Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and please share the app. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So, Friday, March 31st, and we're talking about is man just another animal? And I think it's clear from the scriptures that no, he's not. Man is very different from the animals. He's made in God's image as a person to be loved. Man is given an immortal soul. And the, 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 the powers of that soul are intellect and will. With the intellect, he can know the true good God for whom he was made. And we are made for union with God. And he can choose with his will to love God. Unfortunately, we can also choose with our will to love creation and reject the creator. So we want to beg God for the grace that we always make the right choice with our will. But our intellect helps to inform our will. If we're always looking at the things of this earth and longing after them, it's interesting, a priest this week, he was talking about how, you know, when he was a kid, he would say, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. But then all during Lent, he's imagining all this chocolate he's going to eat at, at Easter time. So essentially, all he did during Lent in his imagination was indulge himself on chocolate. Now, granted, he wasn't eating it, but he wasn't really giving it up, was he? And this is one of our problems. It's like, oh, I'm going to give up this sin, but I keep imagining how much pleasure it gives me. You know, I need to replace that with something else. I need to (laughs) redirect my mind and, and the faculties of my body in redirecting my mind. I need to redirect the faculties of the body. It's interesting because... In the Sermon on the Mount, the Christian ethos is characterized by a transformation of the human person's 
consciousness and attitude, both the man's and the woman's, such as to express and realize, according to the creator's original plan, the value of the body and of sex. Remember, Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's not just the bodily action that's a sin. It's when we allow our imagination to linger on and then to allow ourselves to take delight and pleasure in illegitimate pleasures. Okay? Just like David Sudanon lusted after his half-sister Tamar and then he rapes her. And he finds that after he raped her, he hated her. Yeah, once he's gratified himself, you're no use to me anymore. You were just an object to be used. She wasn't a person to be loved. But what does Jesus teach us in the sermon? Placed as they are at the service of the communion of persons, which is the deepest substratum of human ethics and culture, Okay, for the Manichaean mentality, the body and sexuality constitute, so to speak, an anti-value. But for Christianity, they always remain a value not sufficiently appreciated. For the Manichaean, the body is evil, you can reject it, but that leads to debauchery because we have these desires of the body and they're very strong. And so we try to repress them. We tried to bury them. And instead they come out and we don't have control over them. So we can say, oh, but in my mind, and, and Jesus says, no. If you have lusted after someone, you know, it's not just about the mind being raised up to the, to the, to the world of the forums, as Plato put it, you know, or, or, you know, to lofty thoughts. If I'm committing debauchery with my body, I'm degrading my mind. Sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. And so we have to be redeemed. And this is what Christ came to do. He came to redeem us. All right. St. John Paul II appreciates the goodness of human sexuality that is male and femaleness and also of the conjugal embrace which God created to be specifically and uniquely and exclusively to be enjoyed and expressed in the covenant of marriage, which is not just a contract. Is God's relationship with us a contract? Is Jesus's relationship with his church a contract? Well, the scripture teaches us that marriage is a reflection of God's relationship with us and of Jesus's relationship with his church. It's a covenant. It's a sacred family bond. And yes, it has duties and obligations, but they're not contractual. I do this, you have to do that. I only have to do this much, you know? No, I give my whole self. I give my whole self. The difficulty, you know, people think this, oh, the sexual revelation, revolution, sexual revolution, that gave us sexual freedom, right? Well, what does John Paul II say about that? Actually, no, the sexual revolution does not sufficiently appreciate the value and beauty of human sexuality. It deprives human sexuality of its depth by detaching it from the spousal meaning of the body. It favors the sexual lie. 
pornography, the sexual lie, adultery, the sexual lie, open marriage, the sexual lie, free sex, the sexual lie, masturbation, the sexual lie, homosexuality, the sexual lie, fornication, the sexual lie, in which the language of radical gift is overlaid by the contrary language of individual autonomy and the use of persons for pleasure. All the sexual revolution revolution gave us was that, oh, I can use other people for my own pleasure. Just like Ammon in 2 Samuel uses his sister, Tamar, and once he does, he doesn't want anything to do with her. Doesn't want anything to do with her. John Paul II clearly and frequently affirms the goodness of sexual pleasure. God made the pleasure that's attached to the marital act. Okay? Now, if there's been trauma in someone's life, they may not be able to experience that pleasure as fully as they should. May not be able to, might be able to. Uh, You know, the body keeps the score. And if there's been trauma, then people, especially if that trauma is sexual trauma, people get the wrong idea and they may repress their sexual faculty so that they, when they come to marriage, they can't experience the pleasure. That doesn't mean that you don't love your spouse and you aren't giving yourself freely as a gift. And that wound can be dealt with in therapy, okay? John Paul II sees sexual pleasure as belonging by its deepest and inmost nature to the dynamism of radical gift between man and woman. There is a great delight, even if you can't experience the sexual pleasure on a physical level, there's a great delight in freely giving yourself as a gift to your spouse. Okay, theology of the body is not primarily an admonition to follow the law of the body, but a persuasive proclamation of the gospel of the body. John Paul II does not see Jesus' Jesus. Jesus primarily as a moralist. He's not primarily a moralist as teaching a high ideal of self-giving love that leaves human beings in despair about the weakness of their flesh and the failure of their attempts to measure up to the ideal love. On the contrary, Jesus speaks primarily as the redeemer who overcomes sin and opens the way for real transformation for life in the spirit He is the redeemer of the body. Jesus came to redeem our bodies. Who has seen the power to inscribe the law of love on our hearts of flesh? And he said in Ezekiel, I will remove your heart of stone from their flesh and give them hearts of flesh. Ezekiel 11, 9. He will give us hearts that are able to love. Because of sin, we have stony hearts that only seek ourselves. Jesus gives us the power. He transforms us from within so that we can go outward and give and serve and love, truly love. I will write my law on their hearts, he said in Jeremiah 31, 33. He can demand a radical gift of self because he himself made such a gift of himself to the human race and his gift is effective. Jesus died on the cross for us. 
He totally gives himself. He pours out his life to free us from the power of sin and death. Jesus came to transform us from within. We aren't dunghills covered with snow. He transforms us. He radically changes us into a living image of himself. So that when the father looks at us, he sees not only us, he sees the image of his son and he sees us too. And he loves us because he made us and he made us for union with himself. He desires, he desires that we should live in union with him. So the commandments aren't just a minimum moral law that we need to, you know, these are limits that you can't go beyond. You know, how far can I go? How far can I go? The young people say, well, here's the deal. You don't deliberately arouse your sexual passions outside of marriage. Within the conjugal embrace, embrace and in marriage, yes, you can deliberately arouse those according to right reason. With consideration for your spouse and the needs of the children that God blesses you with. Okay? Rather, the commandments are a path involving a moral, moral and spiritual journey towards perfection at the heart of which is love. See Colossians 3.14. We are called to perfection. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thus the commandment you shall not murder becomes a call to an attentive love which protects and promotes the life of one's neighbors. The precept prohibiting adultery becomes an invitation to a pure way of looking at others capable of respecting the spousal meaning of the body. The body is spousal, but not everyone's called to marriage. So only those who are called to marriage may engage in the conjugal embrace and deliberately enjoy that pleasure. For everyone else, we offer that as a gift to God. Some men are called to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. I hear that music. Don't go away. We'll be back with more. We'll try and wrap this all up and make sense out of it. And I hope you're enjoying this. Please share this with your family and friends. Let everyone know that we have a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Share the app with your friends. Thank you to our benefactors, those who pray for us, and those who listen. I'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this March 31st, 2023. Terry's not with me today, but um, we are talking about, is man just another animal? Or is there a deeper meaning to man than just being an animal? And again, I remember when I was studying philosophy of nature and man in college, we had a professor God have mercy on her soul, Dr. Teresa Krem. She was a gem of a woman, amazing woman. She said, you know, I always hated that philosophical definition of man as a rational animal. Because you see, man has an immortal soul that makes him so different from the animals because man is made in God's image. The animals are not made in God's image. Yes, we share a body with the animals. We have things that are common to the animals. That doesn't make us another animal. We have an immortal soul. The best the pagans could do was man as a rational animal. But we as Christians know that we have an immortal soul, that we're made in God's image. 
So we're talking about this, and we're talking, this last section we ended up, we were talking about the commandments. So Jesus shows us the commandments are not understood to be as minimum limits that we aren't supposed to go beyond. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is the living fulfillment of the law inasmuch as he fulfills its authentic meaning by the total gift of himself. He himself, he himself becomes a living and personal law who invites people to follow him through the spirit. He gives the grace to share his own life and love and provides the strength to bear witness to that love in personal choices and actions compared the gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So we have this reality. Yes, Jesus does give grace. And this is, you know, oftentimes in the modern theology, the moral theologians are like, well, you know, Jesus was a nice guy. He gave us a good example, but end of story. No, he gives us the power to live the commandments. He lived them first perfectly, and he gives us the power to do so if we are willing to ask for his grace and to, to humble ourselves before him and acknowledge our need. And yes, our need is great. We have original sin. We do not have integrity. Integrity was a gift that didn't belong to us, and we lost it. So I was talking a lot today about the theology of the body. Man and woman, he created them. A Theology of the Body by John Paul II. Michael Waldstein's, that's how you would spell it, W-A-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. Uh, translation, he gives you a great introduction, which helps you to understand more you know, what some people are like, well, what is this language that he uses? The, the spousal nature of the body and, and the theology of the body. And, and um, so it would be helpful to have that. But in the beginning, God created them. And it's interesting because this, this whole part of the book, okay, we have the first part of the book, eh, one quarter is Michael Waldstein's introduction. The second part of the book, the three quarters, is John Paul II's John Paul II's Wednesday audiences that he gave um, over the course of several years, okay? And in those audiences, in the first audience, he says, what is meant by beginning? And he, he starts with the gospel. In the beginning, Genesis, right? In the beginning. And he starts with the gospel twice during the dialogue with the Pharisees who questioned him about the indissoluble of marriage, Jesus Christ appealed to the beginning. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he answered them, how do you read that from the beginning, the, create, from the, beginning, the creator made them male and female? And for this reason, a man will leave his father and wife and mother, excuse me, will leave his father and mother leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will be one flesh. So it is, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. They objected. Why did Moses order to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus answered, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So God made concessions to his people in the Old Testament. Yes, Moses allowed for a writ of divorce to be given because the people were hard of heart and Jesus hadn't come yet. But now the Lord has come and with his coming, he redeems us in such a way 
that we have the grace to keep the law. With the help, are we asking though, with the help of his grace? Do we go to confession once a month? Do we thoroughly examine our conscience and really not just our actions and what about our thoughts and attitudes? What about the way we treat our spouse? Do I renew my love for my spouse every day in acts of service? Do I renew my love for my family members in acts of service, in prayer and in sacrifice? Do I renew my love for the people around me by denying myself and serving them? You know, oftentimes we get so caught up in, oh, everybody wants me to do this and everybody wants me to do that. And I'm so tired of this. I'm out of here. I'm done, you know, and, and we feel sorry for ourselves. Well, you know, when we're called to serve, that's a great grace. Now, that doesn't mean we have to let people walk all over us, okay? Everyone in the family should be grateful to each other for the service that's done. And, you know, when, when, when your mom makes a meal for you or does the dishes or does your laundry when you didn't ask her to or folds your clothes even though you didn't ask her, Mom, thank you. That was a kindness. And even if you don't think, thank her outwardly, say a prayer for her when you notice that your folds, clothes were folded. And ask your guardian angel to remember, to remind you, to remind you, to thank her. Okay? We have the grace to live the fulfillment of the commandments. Any use of the sexual faculty outside of man, any deliberate use with full consent of the will and full knowledge outside of the, is, is a grave moral evil. If we're doing this with the absolute, with the full consent of our will and with full knowledge and with deliberation, it's a mortal sin. Now, oftentimes, unfortunately in our world, little children are molested. So they discover sins of a sexual nature before they even understand what it is, okay? We need to pray. We need to pray, and we need to protect the little children. We need to protect them from this, this terrible um, debauchery that's taking place. You know, it was, it was tragic. And, and by the way, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, there are three paragraphs specifically dedicated to pornography. 2211, number 2211, 2354, and 2396. Pornography degrades every person who looks at it. It degrades every person who was used in the production of it. It degrades every person who produces it. And it degrades everyone who sells it and, and transports it. Pornography degrades the whole society. It's a grave moral evil. It's degrading. If you're addicted to pornography, get rid of the computer. Or put covenant eyes on your computer so you can't look at pornography on it. But much of the advertising of clothing and, and you know, dancing with the stars, many programs that people watch on prime time are just pornography. They're pornography. They're designed, and even that, I remember uh, um, someone that I knew was watching a supposedly a PBS special on the history of Henry VIII and his, his kingship. It it wasn't a history of Henry VIII. It was an excuse to display pornography on the screen. That's what it was. And I didn't watch the whole thing. I only saw one part of one episode. And I just told the person, that's just an excuse. That's not the history of Henry VIII. You're going to have to look somewhere else if you want that history. That there is an excuse to display pornography on the screen. Now, granted, Henry VIII died of venereal disease. He wasn't a moral man. But you don't have to display all his sins on the screen for everyone to look at. 
That's not helping people to live a godly life. You know, we think we have to see all these pornographic movies and all these horrible films, and no, we don't. You know, by the way, horror films and ugly toys, they break down our sense of modesty, and they also fill us with fear. God doesn't want us filled with a fear of being punished. Now, granted, if fear of punishment is the only thing that will keep you from sinning, okay, go there. But try, ask God for the grace to love him enough so that you want to please him. The fear of the Lord, the essence of the fear of the Lord is the desire to please him. God is good. And everything that God made is good. So the human body is good and it's sacred. It is holy. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. If you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you, scripture says. Him who destroys God's temple, God will destroy. Ask the Lord for the grace to break free of your addiction from, from pornography. It destroys your family. I remember once a woman came to me and she said, my husband is addicted to pornography and it's like there's a demon living in our home. Well, she prayed and she sacrificed and he recognized his addiction and he took the steps to get out of it. He had to change the work that he was doing and, and he got free of his addiction. Another man who had a terrible addiction to pornography, he finally just said, okay, I don't believe in the efficacy of the rosary, but you know what, blessed mother, I'm going to give you an impossible cause. Help me to get over my addiction to pornography. And he started praying the rosary diligently, really diligently for that intention. And you know what? She did. Ask Our Lady to help you. Beautiful Mary, beautiful Mary. Do you see how she is always veiled? Because she is the mother of God. She is the tabernacle of the Most High. By the way, we, by our baptism, are tabernacles of the Most High. Our bodies aren't made to be displayed before human beings so that human beings can look at us as objects to be used. And because of original sin, that's how we tend to see one another. Christ redeems us He renews us from within. We have the power to see others as persons to be loved, to serve them as persons to be loved. Venerable Aloysius Schwart, who founded what is now called the World Villages of Children, served. He went to Korea first, and he started picking up the orphan children out of the church, out of the streets. They They were in the streets because they had no parents. And he started the largest private nonprofit in the world in order to take care of orphan children. And from, the, from Korea, he went to the Philippines, to Mexico. He died of Lou Gehrig's disease. The movement continues. It's gone to Guatemala. It's going to Africa. The Sisters of Mary, the World Villages of Children, this is to love and serve. Find a way to serve your neighbor and begin by serving your family. And husbands, if you're addicted, addicted to pornography, wives, if you're addicted to pornography, admit it. Repent, go to confession, start praying the rosary, and renew your love for your spouse. Start renewing it through acts of sacrifice and service. Thank you for listening to Bible with the Barbers. I hope you join us again next week, and I hope you share this program with everyone you know. Thank you again, and thank you to our benefactors, the radio stations that pick us up, those who offer their prayers and sufferings for us. If you want to make a donation, please call 877-526-2151. We could not carry on this work without our benefactors, so thank you. 
Our spiritual benefactors are financial ones. See you again soon.